1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today's guest with Kyle and I is Mr. Josh Lipstone from North Carolina. What's up, Josh?
2: Oh, not much. Just another beautiful day in paradise here in North Carolina. There you go.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, if you recognize that golden voice, it can only be from one place, and that's the Explain This Book to Me podcast on the AI network. Yes, We're going to get into that for in a little bit. But first, I'd like to talk to Mr. Lipstone a little bit about his backstory and how he got into the insurance industry.
2: All right. So I remember sitting back – freshman year of college and it was either intro to business or microeconomics and
1: they both sound equally as terrible yes
2: yes they were um and the professor went around and they said you know what what do your parents do for a living you know do they own a business you know go on so on and so forth and when he got to me I said well my dad owns an insurance agency and he immediately responds with well, I know exactly what you're going to be doing when you graduate from college, and I was like, actually, uh, that is the opposite. My father does not want me to come into the agency. He wants he has me to-
1: encouraged me to be a male stripper. Yeah. That is the exact opposite.
2: <laughs> oh, for the listeners, they wouldn't uh, that don't know me, they would definitely not want to see that. So. Yeah, so
1: you gave oh, us a little bit when you got your killing commercial. Welcome, this is Iger. true. You <laughs> left your audience wanting more, man. The oh, this is pick true. Pick is legendary.
2: Uh, although, <laughs> although I, I don't think I could ever reach the level of Nicholas Ayers in a uh, fanny pack only. So
3: Dude, this is the second time I've heard about that, and I'm really glad that I haven't seen
1: that. You're gonna see it. you I'm will see it. see it. You will, because you I'll will. put it on my phone and hold it in your face when you know showing you.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Just hold me down and shove your phone in my face.
1: Yes, exactly. That's how Nick would want it. Oh, he would.
2: He, yeah, he definitely would. Um, yeah, so I never had a desire to get into insurance after I graduated. Worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car for the first two years and then moved back to North Carolina because um, I went to college in Tennessee and at that point uh, i really wasn't happy working at enterprise Um, the thought of washing cars in suits and picking people up in not so desirable places was not appealing Uh, and at the time my parents had just let go their one full-time employee and they said well if you want to give it a try you can try it for six months a year a couple years and if you don't like it you can uh, you can go ahead and leave. And that was almost exactly 12 years ago was August 2nd, 2008 when I joined Mm -hmm. the agency and when I came in, you know, 2008 wasn't the best time for the economy. So had a lot of time just sitting and not working a whole lot. Um, But then a few years later got involved in young agents, of North Carolina, and then started meeting different people throughout the country and then kind of, Things took off from there and ended up somehow joining Jason's mastermind group, ended up being on or creating a podcast with him. And that's the story up to now.
1: I did not know you had the enterprise background. That'll make Raphael Duran very proud oh. <laughs> you know that we had a former uh, fellow enterprise alumni on the podcast. Uh, oh, he was on there the for like, <laughs>
3: tw- what, 20 years or something?
1: Yeah, he was. He, oh he had gosh. a – he was not washing cars and suits his his job was a little different he worked with opening up new relationships with dealerships for enterprise mm. so interesting that, yeah it was i don't really know that i understand exactly what it was that he did it's kind of
3: he's told me multiple times i still don't get it
1: Duran, we refuse to understand your backstory. And if yeah. you're listening to this, I just need to make sure you're aware of that. Well, <laughs> one
2: one interesting thing about Enterprise is they make the majority of their money from selling their cars after they've gone through the the life cycle, and the department is called remarketing, which is a weird term to use, like remarketing. I mean, we we use that in insurance, but they talked about they use that for selling cars. So
1: yeah. that's interesting. Yeah.
2: So, I'd so like I think to talk he- to him and see what his experience was like.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so let's let's go ahead and get this out of the way, too. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you golf at all,
2: <laughs>
1: it, is a, it is a holy grail for you to get a single hole-in-one in a lifetime. Mr. Lipstone holed out twice in under two months.
3: That's pretty it's, ridiculous.
1: It may even have been under a month. I didn't want to say that because I wasn't sure, but it was really in close proximity
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it was it was just under two months between the two yeah
3: that's strong still looking for number one for
2: me yeah i mean it took 20 years yeah two years (laughs) yeah yeah so and and the great thing was i got to see both of them go in the first one i i don't want to say is skill but it was a good shot and it went towards the hole and actually one hop in and then the second one uh, hit it on the left side and it rolled down in. So it was a good shot, but it wasn't at the hole. So second one, nice. was a little bit of a uh, gravity.
1: Mold. I feel like if I ever hit a hole in one, it will be because it ricocheted off of a cart. I know, or man.
2: What
3: what drives me nuts is there's so many. Like I'm a decent golfer, right? But like I. I <laughs> I I see videos. Oh, of Kyle, stories. quit
1: selling yourself short. We all know that you're. No, I'm just saying, like single the, the, digit handicap and okay. shooting par is nothing out of the ordinary for
3: you. No, it is. I haven't shot it, But uh, all, all I'm saying is, I I just it drives me nuts when when you've got like the 80 year old ladies who's hitting who you know hitting driver mm-hmm. from okay. from 110 yards and it just rolls up and goes. It's like, come on, man.
2: Or or the person that first time they play golf, yeah, ever, and they're like, yeah. yeah. I got a hole-in-one. What was so hard about that? And you're just right.
1: Like, so, yeah, dude, to... I've come really, really close twice, like Same. within probably six to 12 inches, two different times. The, the one time it was traditional, it was a par three. The second time was actually on a par four. Wow. There you go. And it, it was a city course called the Highlands in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And so the par fours were not terribly long. This one was probably 280 yards, but played like it was 320 because it was uphill. So you teed off at the bottom and then you, you hit it up. It was probably a hundred feet high. The hole was probably a hundred feet higher wow. than, than where you teed off from. It was just a really weird par four hole, but I used my three wood and so I could have enough loft on it. Cause I was playing with like a nine or nine and a half degree driver at the time. <laughs> And I just – I hit that thing as pure as you could possibly hit it, and it hit on the front edge of the green, and it rolled, and there was a guy that was on the other tee box teeing off, Mm -hmm. and I saw him, like, with his arms up like this raising his hands, and I'm thinking, that guy didn't even swing. What's he celebrating? And I got up there, and it was literally six inches from the cup. I I couldn't believe it. So Pretty strong. Yeah, that's back when I was playing all the time. So there may have been a little more skill involved than what I typically have these days. But um, yeah,
3: I've hit the pin a couple times, but still waiting. Hey, maybe tomorrow a buckhorn.
1: It might be. Maybe just talking about this and just being around Josh. Let's put it out of there. Each getting two a piece, we can split the right. two for and each have one tomorrow. There we go.
2: That sounds good. I'll take it. Who's going to yeah. buy drinks then? Yeah, both. Well, I definitely
1: well, will. The gentleman that we're with. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So listen, man, you go to the agency, you're done at Enterprise. You yep. know, what was your first impression walking in to the agency, knowing that you grew up probably like running around the halls of the office and all of the other stuff that we do as annoying kids. Mm-hmm. But now you're, you're looking at this as this is serious. This could potentially be a career for me. What What was running through your head?
2: Yeah, at that point, I was just thinking, I'm so glad I don't have to wash cars. you know, and rent cars to people. That's, that's what I was thinking. And the first year I was just trying to learn the industry because my parents kept me pretty separate from, from the business. They wanted to try to make sure that they had, you know, good work-life balance. And so we were there a little bit, but we didn't talk about insurance that much growing up. I knew what my dad did. I knew that he sold insurance, but I didn't really understand it. So the first year I just spent learning, reading articles um you know doing quotes learning the processes of things like that it was probably after the first year where i thought okay i need to decide if i really want to make this a career or do i just want to figure out and do something else because growing up i had a desire to become a lawyer uh glad i didn't do that then a desire to become a writer and not sure if i'm glad i didn't do that um but once I realized that I did have a passion for insurance after that first year, uh, I really started to focus on, okay, how do I get better? Who are the people that I need to surround myself with and what are the things that I need to do to be able to grow the agency and be successful long term and not just
1: short term. That's kind of it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're there now. What's the mix of business that you guys are doing? Obviously, I know what your goal is going forward since you're part of Killing Commercial with us, but um, I'm interested as to you know what your vision is for the next five, 10 years.
2: Yeah, so right now we're approximately 70% personal lines and 30% commercial lines. And uh, long-term, I'd like to see that flipped uh, from a revenue perspective but not necessarily from number of clients, uh, perspective, especially with focusing more on, on middle market. So, I mean, I I would love to in five to 10 years, well, potentially in five years, my dad will have retired and, um, sold the agency completely to me. And, you know, we'll go through that transition process, but five years, I'd like for us to at least, um, double, in, in growth, uh, revenue wise, um, and add someone, you know, someone who doesn't have the last name Lipstone working here. Uh, so that would, that, that would be a nice goal. Um, 10 years, um, hoping to, uh, I don't even know what 5X is, quintuple. I'm not sure if that's the right one. Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. There we go. Quintuple, um, agency within the next 10 years. Uh, with a focus on on middle market and then continue to still have the personal lines. I, I, I know that there are people out there that say personal lines is going to go away completely. Some say no. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. But I do know I don't want to just completely get rid of personal lines since it has been the backbone of our agency for 20 some odd years
1: yeah I'm getting to the point where I'm gonna make one good run at personal lines. I think I've been talking about it a lot this week, but the more I dig in, the more I don't think that I've given it enough of a chance. you know i I think I've just dismissed it because it's so easy to do based on the difference in account size and what the amount of servicing that has to be done in order to you know maintain that book of business versus what it requires in middle market commercials so we um, we've been going through some pretty strategic planning stuff this week to try and make a really solid run at putting together actual marketing plans around, you know, personal lines and all of that. So everybody who's heard me talk about how much I hate personal lines, go ahead now and you can start throwing stones at me and we'll see what happens. But.
3: I'm curious, Josh, what your biggest challenge was, you know, coming from enterprise when you, first got involved? I know you said the first year you kind of were doing a lot of learning, a lot of reading and quoting and stuff like that, but what was, what was your biggest challenge in getting up and running and getting your feet under you?
2: Uh, so a couple things, uh, one working for your parents. Cause at the time, both my mother and father were working in the agency. Uh, my father's, yep. step, my mother is not. So, you know, looking at them more as a boss rather mm-hmm. than a parent, Um, Now, we've never, ever had anything to where it's like, you're going to do this because I'm the boss and you have to do that, but kind of giving them more respect in that manner. Um, And then the second thing was not working for like a Fortune 500 company that had defined training, defined roles, metrics, things like that. So going from know okay a lot of structure exactly to (laughs) know sure that was those were the two biggest challenges and then i guess a third one would be do i really want to do this um Mm -hmm. but yeah making sure that yeah not having that structure was was a big deal because at enterprise it's like you go in there and they basically give you a blueprint they say okay, if you do this by this month, you'll do get this and so on and so forth. And they can show you, you know, like a path, but in a family agency, it's not like my parents are going to say, Hey, in six months, we're going to, you know, make you vice president or, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z it's kind of comes as a goes.
3: So, so to your last point, what did make you really want to do this?
2: Uh, so I just enjoy selling insurance. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy basically convincing someone that they need a product that they hate, that they don't want to pay for, and showing them that there is value to it and that our agency, that we truly are different from other insurance agents. Sometimes that works to our benefit. Sometimes it works to our detriment because we do try to do things Differently, and we get pushback from some people that say, "Well, I've never had to do that, or I've never had to provide that." And you know, well, I'm sorry, it's you're just not a good fit for us. Then and being able to just walk away, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's uh, I, I would say that cool. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about the podcast.
2: Okay, we can do that.
1: Where did the idea come from? So. Actually, first explain what it's about and then go into where did the idea come from?
2: All right. So explain this book to me is where I read a book and then I'll either have the author, a thought leader, or a visionary come on as my guest. I will explain the book back to them and then I will ask them questions that I have about the book so that that way I can get a better understanding of what they were trying to teach to their audience Um, it's something to where I've thought about it for a number of years now with our agency. Um, it's basically been my father and I for about 10 years and about a year ago, we brought on my sister, my youngest sister to work in the agency. And when we've talked about, we need to grow, we need to hire people that don't have the name, last name of Lipstone. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to lead these people. I have no leadership skills i have not had to have any leadership skills in the last 12 years since i've been at enterprise and the ones that i have you know are, are gone i'm sure that they'll come back but i thought i need to learn these things and instead of going through and hiring a coach which at the time was a little cost prohibitive i thought okay i'll just read some books and i'll learn and then i read a few books didn't really stick. I had questions and I thought, okay, how can I get someone to basically give me free advice without, you know, and not pay for it. And so I thought, okay, I love podcasts. I could create a podcast. I can create a podcast where I have people on, where I've read a book, explain it to them, ask the questions that they have. And I'm assuming that the questions that I have, someone else may have. So it's going to help people who are listening and educate them. So the genesis of the podcast was really how can I improve myself, and how can I you know also help others along the way with the information. So that's that's where the podcast came from, the genesis of it. It's uh it's been good so far, and uh, my second guess was the best guest that I've ever had on.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you had Cass first, so it's not like you set the bar high.
2: Oh, this is true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> Too funny. So, I mean, what do you see? I mean, what's the vision going forward, right? Obviously, I was on there, so I understand the the concept. And truthfully, um, and and I I don't want this to come out the wrong way or or to sound wrong, but I I was really surprised at how good it was. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I'm surprised that you were a good interviewer. I was just really surprised that, there was that much meat that could come out of it. Cause I wouldn't have thought that. So yeah. I do think, I think that the concept probably sounds a little kind of strange to people mm-hmm. at first, but if you listen to some of the episodes that Josh has already recorded, it is good stuff. And it takes something that might be surface level in terms of a concept or a thought process. And, and he does a really good job of drilling down to, to get more information out, which crazy is, I, I'll never forget this, man. I mean, because it was like an epiphany for me, but it was either the, I think it was the first episode when we were talking about my history of sales jobs yeah. and we were talking about selling satellite dishes in West Virginia and the fact that I had branded myself as a um entertainment specialist or whatever it was. I don't even remember the exact name of it right now, but um I would literally go door to door, VP of entertainment, yeah, I mean, look. I I had free reign. There were no rules. We weren't regulated by the state like we are in insurance. So I could make up anything I wanted to and it would work. Um, But I basically created this process where I would go and ask homeowners door to door a series of questions like how much do you pay to go to the movies? Do you buy dinner out when you go to the movies? Do you buy refreshments when you're there? Do you rent movies? If you rent movies, do you have pizza come in? Whatever else. And essentially, I was getting them to give me estimated dollar figures that I would then total up into their total cost of entertainment for a month. (laughs) And Josh is sitting here the whole time. And as I'm talking, I'm like, holy crap, this sounds a whole lot like things that I do right now for total cost of risk. Now, granted, I didn't invent total cost of risk. I don't claim to have invented total cost of risk, but it's scary how much my sales process for middle market commercial accounts resembles the sales process that I had when I was selling satellite dishes door to door. It's crazy, like the the whole thing. And it wasn't just what was limited to the conversation that we had on your podcast, Josh. It was things like once I identified who my my ideal prospect was, it would be a very specific geography. I knew that the people who lived in that area had no cable, so I could go to the Coles directory and pull all of the people I wanted to telemarket to over the phone because I'd created my ideal prospect profile based off of the experience that I had from cold calling. Then, you know, and that's, that's a whole other reinvention in itself. I quit going door to door because it's a long time in between houses sometimes or even neighborhoods up there because so much of it's uninhabited that I started just dialing for dollars and I figured out I can get almost 10 times as many people to talk to me over the phone as I could if I went to their house. And the thing is, it wasn't difficult to sell. They wanted it. Mm -hmm. These people wanted TV. They didn't have it. They didn't have cable. They had the old antenna if they were lucky or they had rabbit ears, but that's it. So I didn't have to worry about getting hung up on because they wanted to talk about TV. As soon as you told him you were from... Everybody loves TV. Yeah, as soon as you told him you were from... uh, You were looking to bring cable programming to their area. I didn't say I owned a cable company or that I worked for a cable company. I just said cable programming. Well, you can get cable programming from satellites. That's where the cable companies get it from.
2: Yeah. I think I'm going to start a section or or a segment on the uh, podcast called The Epiphany Moment.
1: Yeah, you should, man. Because I think that when you start talking to people, it's interesting. Obviously, if you go through the process... Of writing a book, and you're getting life experience out onto paper. That's a that's a process in its own, and you're never going to remember everything. I mean, if you if you do, it's going to take you years to write a book, right? That's that's why you just write two books or three books. You just throw the stuff in you left out the first time. But you know, that's the first piece. The second piece is when you go back, and if it's something like what I did in the the forward of the extra two minutes, where I'm basically going from here I am today, but this is how I got there and going through the different, you know, selling monkey balls out of my backpack in third grade all the <laughs> way up to, you know, all the way up to to what I do now. You're going to realize that you were probably doing the same thing you do today in a different version. Yeah. Even way back then, it's just a complete it's evolution. Familiar. You, just,
3: you just apply everything that you've learned to the different, you know avenues you go down well
1: i'm gonna tell you i tried to apply explain this book to me by having my wife explain the kama sutra and it did not go over oh my god (laughs) it was not a good it was not a good conversation no Uh.
2: no, i don't see that going well and i mean (laughs) the the one thing that i wanted to i want to do with the podcast is because i i listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes they're up you know, 30, 40, 50,000 feet up into the clouds. And I try to get a little closer to the ground to provide some more practical things. And I mean, one thing that I loved about your book, The Extra Two Minutes, was how practical it was. So it really lent itself well to the focus and the mission of explaining this book to me, to be able to provide practical, real life examples, things that people can take away and implement within their sales process or their business and be able to see results quickly rather than, okay, if you do X, Y, Z, you might see results, or, you know, this is kind of the thing that we do and we're not really gonna go too much into the detail, but if you wanna learn more, go ahead and, you know, sign up for our course. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted to provide because I'm trying to learn myself. So I wanted to provide something as a little more tangible, a little, a little closer to the ground for the, for the readers.
1: Yeah. So you're making this really easy because the next question obviously has to be out of all of the episodes that you've recorded, what have you learned that you didn't know prior to recording those episodes? Oh, that's a good one
2: um it's a
1: little podcasting trick we like to call uh, turning the tables josh oh oh oh.
2: (laughs) you mean unexpected questions or
1: unprepared (laughs) 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 oh i've got those too but i would never (laughs) do that to a guest rookie
2: (laughs) (laughs) hey i offered to send send questions but
1: that's all right brother i'm comfortable enough in my processes at this point if i can't answer them on the fly people are going to question if i'm really doing them or not
2: yeah so um I, i would say in the first book um i learned that because the first book that I did with Jason was basically a five-year look back. He he wrote the book and I said, you should do something where you're looking back five years. And what I learned from that is as much as we are trying to change the way that we do things now, especially given the current climate with everything that's going on and, and having to go more virtual, that a lot of the things that we did five years ago, 10, 25, 50 years ago, still hold true today. Now there might be different ways that we do it as far as how the application is, but the concepts and the principles are still the same. So that surprised me that it, it had changed. It didn't change as much as I thought it was going to do. Um, so that was from the first book. And then from your book, Biggest, biggest Change... Or the biggest the biggest thing that i learned i would probably say how much i surprised you with a few of the things that i pulled pulled out um from that and then seeing that again getting back to what i learned from the first one is that the things that you had done throughout your even from a child pretty much followed the same thing so that either makes you like a uh, sales savant, or it just makes <laughs> you someone who just has to do the same thing every time. Like you have to put your keys in the same place every single day, or you're going to lose them.
1: That is a 100. I think it's both, Josh. Yes. You know, my I, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty darn skippy when it comes to sales. Sometimes I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. But I will tell you that my wife would say that um, I'm certainly a creature of habit when it comes to uh, things like putting your keys in the same place every single time I may or may not be known for having thrown ten- temper tantrums before when she decides to move my stuff from where I religiously put it every single time. A and then put it
3: there, man, you know where it's at. <laughs> so Kyle and, and I
1: never deviate. Like I, I never deviate from it. I'm going to do the same thing every single time. Quit screwing with my stuff. I'm a creature of habit. I mean it's like anything else in life man once you get your system down just work your system and don't let other people you know influence that and mess it up It's fair So yeah. Josh what, what are you thinking for the future what are you looking what unanswered questions or what thirst for knowledge do you have that has not been met by life yet that you feel like you can get answered through interviewing somebody on your podcast. I'm, I'm kind of interested as to what upcoming topics we have the ability to look forward to.
2: Yeah. So I've got a few. Um, so I'll kind of talk about the topics and then um, kind of give some ideas about the books, not, not release really specifically what they are. So my biggest focus is, is leadership is learning how to lead a team of people, how to, mold them into what the organization, what the business, the agency needs and to be someone that they look up to and that they rely on. So that's the biggest thing that that I want to be able to learn from this. Um, as far as topics, currently talking to four or five people, and uh, I know you sent me one this morning, so I'm going to have to take a look at that, uh, but a few of the topics are around like the, the social psychology of sales, um, how you use that to persuade or influence, uh, the, the prospect that you're, you're going after. Um, one is about the side of the insurance business that I'm not involved in, uh, which is the claim side. So talking more, more about that. Um, okay. Down a little bit. Yeah. Yep uh working um have one specifically about leadership uh there's um just the the different aspects of that and then finally uh about making kind of follow through (laughs) hope everyone's okay uh follow the money uh you know
3: I'm Make- sorry,
1: is there a tow truck that just pulled into your yeah, living room? Th- I mean, it's
2: it's
3: unbelievable.
1: Unlike, unlike Josh, I don't cut and edit. We're going to let this ride just the way it is. There will be no Kama Sutra. Read, no, read this book to me for you tonight, sir. You <laughs> just got your rear end handed to you. Oh. So glad you're wearing headphones, so I'm not guilty by association. I, mean, I don't even
2: know who I would have on the podcast to review that book. I mean, that would be... The Kama Sutra? Yeah, yeah. I mean...
1: Not I would sure. probably say Kim Kardashian seems to be pretty well versed based on what the internet has to say.
2: Okay. All right. Well, yeah.
3: <laughs> so, yeah. Just, I'll, just hit her up. Maybe, maybe you can text Kanye later and see if you can get her
2: on. So the, the funny thing about Kanye, which is he was I've, married by someone that went to the same college that I went to. I didn't know him personally, but I have friends, are hmm. friends with him and he's like, or at one point he was his pastor um and then actually him and his wife got a show on i don't know e or bravo or something like that it didn't last very long but interesting i guess i mean the guy's in florida i believe i think he's in florida so maybe yeah
1: well kanye kanye had gotten religious there for a couple of months and then i just like saw him in his presidential bid Mm -hmm. dropping f-bombs like i pop skittles i mean it was crazy (laughs) well i don't pop any skittles right now in the middle of the whole 30 but you know what i'm talking about so i guess here's here's my question where you know i'm i'm pretty self aware um sounds like you are too where, where are you weak i mean where do you in terms of your insurance game or your sales game right now where what do you want to what do you want to bolster by having somebody on
2: yeah so i would say my sales game is fairly weak um i mean i, I know how to sell auto and home and umbrella uh you know, every day of the week. Uh, commercial, really no no true experience. I mean, it doesn't really count if someone calls you that's a referral or your current client that calls you that is opening up a business or an existing commercial client that we've had a long-term relationship with is opening up another restaurant. So I really have no sales ability. Um, I would say uh, prospecting zero whatsoever. That's why. What <laughs> That, that that's why I joined killing commercial because uh, prospecting and, and networking probably my biggest fear is networking. I I despise networking with with a passion.
3: It depends um, on what kind it is, man. If it's like the forced stuff, like I mean, like your networking groups, that's it's yes, it's, that's a, it. it's 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 annoying. It.
1: Not a fan. No, no. no, I'm
3: I'm part of a group and I get business from it, but it's a lot of it's not really business that i would ever go after um you know and it's but, business
1: you're going to lose the second you leave the group because the yeah next, for the for the, the most next part. the next guy's going to come in and they're going to put the screws to him and tell him you know you need to do business with the people that are in the group
3: right for the most part for yeah for stuff that i've written for people in the group like their businesses yes for the stuff that they referred me i'm not really sure because i just kind of developed those relationships yeah no I, I agree with that but <laughs> Uh, the, the, and that was always my number one thing of getting involved with that is like, I, I just feel like they're forced. I feel like it's a, like it's a cultish type of situation. And I mean, all of my preconceived notions have basically been validated, but you know,
1: I love knowing that every Wednesday morning, Kyle is at his networking group.
2: It's a,
3: I, uh, I went
1: and sat, I went and sat in for him one time. And it was atrocious. I it's, just...
2: So, so the question is, why do you continue doing it?
3: Because we, mean, pay, we paid because for it's the paid year. paid for the year. And, you know, again, I, I, I do get business. Mm-hmm. And, and I, Look,
1: man, I will tell you this. You've probably pulled... I bet you've pulled 25 grand in revenue out of
3: there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's paid for itself. So, like, I put up with, you know, some of the bullshit that goes on and, and you know, show up every week. But definitely, like I mean, Tuesday evening rolls around and I'm just like, fuck. Like, I, like it's, it's, you know. It, it He's is not double
1: so. secret probation because they do have rules. And he's a rebel. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, utilize- I am
3: dude. I don't like being forced to do things, man. It's, and that's, and that's my dad and me, but it, it's like, I, I think I might be out of the, uh, out of the pre- probationary period with the absences at this point, but cause you only get, so I think you get three every six months or something like that. And you know, I, I, I had shit going on. Like my son was born, there was COVID. Like one day was my birthday. I'm like, dude, fuck you, dad. I'm, <laughs> not show, I'm not showing up on my birthday. Like,
1: Dude, just one sleeping. time your one time your stomach was eating itself. That too, yeah, and that's uh, unfortunately more often than than not. But anyways, I, you know, here's my here's my deal on the whole thing. I think there's so many people out there who have the exact same thought process that absolutely despise these organized, forced networking things. That if you just find a group of like minded people, you can put your own together and. Yeah, you need to have some level of accountability there. Yeah, like- that's and that's
3: that's it right there. That's the key is you have to have the accountability because the the other one that I was in that that wasn't you know one of the the big ones was very <laughs> it was so bad. I mean, like there was supposed to be fifteen people in there, and there was you know always like five or six that would show up. I basically go and have breakfast with these people. I don't think I got any. I remember I got like one or two referrals the whole time I was there, but it was just. It was it was so bad. So it's there's got to be some structure and there has to be some accountability. But I think sometimes it can it can be overkill.
1: Well, I think the thing is, if you if you can find people, look, any producer. And I realize we've been shooting the breeze across a variety of topics, but we've actually found one that we're going to camp out on for a couple of minutes because this is good. If you're a producer, you need to have channel partners. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You Absolutely. know, you have to be a five tool player. You can't just focus on telemarketing. You can't just focus on marketing drops. You can't just focus on hoping the phone would ring or display advertising or YouTube ads or any of the other stuff that we do. Your marketing plan has to be all of the above. And to me, you know, it takes longer to build a good network of referral partners. But you're ultimately much more rewarded in the long run. And to me, I've almost, I don't want to say that I classify them, but you've got the core group that you know. This is my go to. Somebody calls me for payroll, boom, that's who I'm sending them to Mm -hmm. 100% of the time. Somebody needs banking help, boom, that's who I'm going to send them to. Somebody needs legal help, I could go down the list, but. Then I have that the sort of fringe group where every now and again, this person will reach out to me and send me something. And, you know, if my person's on vacation and can't help with an immediate need or whatever, then I'll refer uh, th- that next tier. sort of the, the fringe relationships out and you find yourself in a position where you, you could have 50 or 100 people. That are referring business to you, but it's really only that core group of 10 that's driving the majority of it. So I try and tell people, you know, all the time, figure out what you want first, right? Like, who do I want to get business from? Well, a good business referral source for me is not a guy who manufactures the bags that cotton candy go into. Right. Realizing that's random, I'm just, that guy's not going to refer me business. So if you have a company that makes bags for cotton candy, I'll happily insure you and help you with your risk management, but you're just not going to refer business to me and and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. make sense for you. But payroll people are good. Office Mm -hmm. supply people are good. IT people are good. Office equipment people. And you could go down the list of those. And then the number one way to determine which ones are good and which ones aren't is to ask your clients. Ask your client who they're using for those services that would be good referral sources for you. And when they give you the feedback, ask them, who am I going to gel with personally? Who do you think is, is a go-getter that's going to stick? And do you mind making an introduction for me? And mm-hmm. when they do that, now it's now you're off to the races. And that's how some of my best referral relationships with people got started was because I simply asked those questions to my clients. If you don't understand if, how to build a channel network, all you have to do is what I just said. Go to mm-hmm. five clients and say to all five of those clients, who's your accountant? Who's your attorney? Who's your banker? Who do you buy payroll from? If, if you have 10 different people and you ask that across five clients, that's 50 potential referral sources. And you've probably got an hour of time at the most invested in having phone conversations and doing that. Then you go into begin nurturing those relationships. You don't call the person and say, Hey, yeah. I'm Dave. Hey, I'm Dave. You got any business for me? Uh, <laughs> Rob, Rob told me to give you a ring. No, that's right. not how it works.
3: Yeah. It's something that happens over time. And I think that's part of the other reason why I joined to begin with is just in hopes that um, I could build some relationships you know, maybe, maybe if it's only one or two out of the 30 people or however many that are in there that would stick and that would last over time because, you know, and just start with that kind of nucleus and be able to expand from there. I think, I think that definitely went into the equation as well.
1: Listen, I still have relationships with people that were in the networking group that I was in the very first year mm-hmm. that I was in insurance. Right. Daryl, Daryl Polito was in that <laughs> networking group. My with guy. Me. And he's still my tailor today who makes all my suits and stuff. But I would refer him in to the other people in my agency that saw him coming to meet with me. And then he would refer me to other executives that he was making suits and clothing for. That's somebody you wouldn't normally think about, right? But that was a he's, exactly. he's been a, a really good relationship for me. But I think that you have to define that and you have to be willing to put the work into it in order to make it you know work the way that it should work. But I think a lot of people are are stuck with where do I start? How do I even start reaching out to these people? How do I even find them? Well, the first thing you have to do is figure out what it is you want. Who do, yep. who are you even looking for? You know, and again, it goes back to you're you're building a channel partnership, but it's almost similar to how Bob Klinger built his niches out in his agency. You you find the first one and then you, you ask for the one removed or the contributor. And then the one removed or contributor to that. And the next thing, you know, it's like today before I got to the office at about eight o'clock, I did my content videos and everything. And while I was waiting for them to download from the iCloud into my computer, so I could do the editing. I had my, I literally had three referrals come in via phone or email. Mm -hmm. One of them was a guy that's a branch manager at a bank in, in Tampa that is now going to be my new best friend because you know he can refer me their commercial clients and they're a huge SBA lender. But he was referred by a buddy of mine who's also a commercial banker with the same bank that I just happened to graduate high school with. And the thing is, it get, it becomes contagious when you start working with these. And Kyle, you've experienced it with the payroll companies. Yeah. So I mean, how do you, yeah,
2: absolutely. How do you keep them happy, like the, the what you say. How do you keep the referral partner? We refer
1: business to them. The the oh, number yeah. one was... the number one success story that I've had, and I'll let Kyle tell his story, is when PPP started. I literally it was four thirty in the morning. I was half awake I, out of my ear that wasn't buried in the pillow. I heard that the government was giving relief to companies via PPP through the SBA. And I sat straight up in bed at 4.30 in the morning and I told my wife, I'm gonna go jump in the shower and head to the office. I gotta get this prepared. This is gonna be valuable to my clients and I wanna make sure I get them as much information I can as to how they can get this money as soon as possible. And I got there and the first thing I did was reach out to the guy that's the CEO of Pilot Bank, Roy Hellwedge, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, Roy, this is what I wanna do. I wanna get Javier and Danny on the webinar. They're your SBA guys. I want my clients and my prospects to have free access to them so they can get any questions answered that they have about PPP. And then I want to send them to your bank in order to have them get their loans funded. And Mm -hmm. he said, yeah, I'm on board with that. And this is a nice you know, regional bank, probably seven or eight locations. They do a ton of SBA work. And I knew, if nothing else, that the information was going to be valid and up to date if these guys went on there and did it and within you know 48 hours we had a webinar with a couple hundred people on it yeah. hearing about PPP so i kicked the webinar off and i said you know what i'm not going to even let anybody know who i am or what we do i'm just going to be here as the sponsor of the webinar and i'm going to kick it off so i introduced myself told him i was with florida risk partners and we were happy to welcome the people from Pilot Bank to the um, webinar, and this was all about them. And our goal in all of this was to take the people who have the money and connect them with the people who need the money and then let them figure the rest of it out. Mm -hmm. My clients and prospects did well because my clients and prospects got money that they needed. The bank did well because they picked up several commercial banking relationships for several million dollars as a result of that webinar. So that was the quid pro quo that worked. From that, I have increased credibility with uh, Pilot and get plenty of referrals from them. And we got we picked up prospects i mean we sent it out to our hubspot database so we had people we've never what's Dude, funny is i was is- calling
3: i was calling people that i've never talked to before that are just in like you said in our database you know saying hey we're, this is not a sales call I just wanted to touch base a lot of things are going crazy right now as i'm sure you know the ppp you know cares act is going on and if you'd like some you know more information we're hosting a free webinar you know it's not a you know again not a sales presentation just a way for you to get some more information. It's at one o'clock on Wednesday. Here's the link for it. If if you'd like to join, that would be you know awesome or whatever something to that effect. And tons of people joined, tons.
1: Yeah. Talk a little bit about how things work with you and the payroll reps, though, because I mean, that's probably yeah, so, obviously well, you, you have to wait for something like PPP to happen mm-hmm. to use that strategy. But the moral of that story, people, is be aware of what's going on in current events and be able to figure out how you can connect people in a non-self-serving way that ultimately leads to everybody winning. That That's all that was, was me exactly. saying, ah, there's an opportunity. I'm going to seize that opportunity and I was two or three days ahead of any of my competition for doing something similar. In fact, half of them were on my freaking webinar trying to see what we were doing so they could go replicate it.
3: And that's the point I was going to make. I'm glad you shared that story. Is the best the, the the best referral relationships are the ones where it's either a two-way street or you can do something for them because it builds the credibility and it and it builds the trust. But I mean as as far as um I, I get a ton of business from um from payroll reps. My, my wife works for ADP is I'm sure everybody uh, well knows, but, um, I, I also partner with a ton of other payroll companies because they can't get the deal a lot of times unless they can get the workers comp done. And if they can't get it done in house, they need another avenue to go that can write riskier stuff or maybe newer business or just things that don't fit inside of, of what they're looking for. Um, you know, internally at their payroll company. So, that's where I come in, but then I can also, you know, flip things back to them. Um, or if we have to, if we have to move it to a PEO to get, uh, this person coverage for a couple of years so that then we can ultimately flip it back to the payroll rep who brought it to me, uh, initially, you know, then, then that's, that's the way that we can go too. but that's a example of a referral relationship that can be a two-way street where you're, you know, going back and forth and those ones tend to, you know, not tend to, those ones are the best, you know, that that you can have.
1: Well, I think the thing is too, you need to realize it's not a free for all. Right. I mean, there has to like we like we said, there has to be accountability. So if you're constantly referring and you're not getting anything back, that's not a referral relationship, right? Yeah. The, the same thing holds true with again. Payroll companies are notorious for hammering, hammering, hammering. They'll give you the deal, but then they're going to bother you 15 times a day to find out updates for what's going on with that deal. Right. And, and, and the problem is a lot of the time, if not every time, it's something, especially talking about with what Kyle's doing. If ADP can get the comp placed, they're going to do it themselves. Right. They're not going to come to us to do it. They've got an internal agency that can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're coming in with these lily-white, pristine risks that we can just go into an online raider and answer ten questions and yeah, get a quote. It's out. I mean
3: We've got to, we've got we, to, you know, dissect the loss runs and create a narrative around what's going on and 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 really kind of sell that to the underwriters.
1: And you and, and so my take on all of that is it's fine if you want us to go do all of this work but you better get the deal closed on your end because right. our ability to get the workers comp done and, and actually get if the I get coverage down if i get now, the comp
3: done it should be a done deal like there correct. should be no there should be no back and forth or or you know talking oh well you know they they're looking at this other company too like no it, it, if if i'm able to get the comp done for you it should be it should be a game over
1: right so how do and you, that's that's my how do you biggest deal concern with
2: it, so my my concern has always been working with multiple people in one industry, so payroll or mortgages or real estate, where Mm -hmm. I'm asking for them to use me as the exclusive insurance agent, but I have relationships with 10 Mm -hmm. other people. How does, I've never been able to wrap my head around how that is fair to them or how to position it so that it seems fair and then having enough business because I don't have enough business right now to refer to enough people.
1: Number one, I would prefer you call it business. Um, (laughs) But um, no, I mean, I think that that's a valid question and it certainly is something to consider. But at the same time, you know, you need to, it's a thought process. Just like most of what I teach in Killing Commercial isn't rocket science. It's just a different way to view the same problem. And so you're viewing that as the reciprocity needs to be that you're giving them as many leads or driving as much to them is mm-hmm. what they're giving to you that's not how you need to think how you yeah, okay. need to think is you're helping them that get the deal you're helping them get the deal closed okay. now granted you're getting paid to help them get the deal closed but ultimately you are giving them business because if you don't get the comp done for them they don't get that deal at all and so most payroll people you know i can't speak for kyle but i can just tell you from my own perspective when we're dealing with these guys and ladies they're not hammering me for what can i send them what can i send them what can i send them it's mm-hmm. usually look can i get this can you get this done and if so what's the like you know what how long is it going to take and what's the likelihood
3: what i tend to do for them is is get them like lists of peo steals that we could pro- you know potentially work on together um, okay. because that's an easy, they can go after those all day. I mean, if, if, again, if I'm able to place the comp in a standalone market, mm-hmm. um, they should be able to do enough on the admin side to, to make it well worth them making the jump from a PEO relationship to being with a payroll provider and, and a standalone, you know, comp provider. Um, so that, that's how I work with them, you know, kind of hand in hand to, um, Attack! Attack! Different opportunities together.
2: I'm gonna have to learn about PEOS if I'm gonna be selling work comp because I know it nothing. Me up.
3: About, I mean, nothing David about too. David, like David knows probably more than I do, and
2: you know. But
1: yeah, uh, I wouldn't go with that. Kyle's good too. I mean, it's we're double agents when it comes to that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's an interesting situation for you to be in as a producer because I I do know a lot about PEO because just my background and the fact that I was in an agency where that's what we did was mm-hmm. write master policies for them, so I can sell for them, and I can sell against them. Right. So there's a lot of people out there who think PEOs are the devil and it doesn't make any sense and you should never place business for, for
3: it. You, like there's certain businesses that need to be in a PEO relationship.
1: I'm going to give you an example of one. I've got a client right now that was that's a plumbing company and they had a, a claim that was mismanaged by the carrier. The owner was not exempt from the policy. Okay. Mm -hmm. He got injured and he had a rough enough injury that it was his rotator cuff or something. He had to have some surgery and was out of work for a while. They told him he had no choice but to take indemnity on the claim. He said, I don't want you paying me for time off. I'm the owner. I'm taking distributions either way it doesn't make sense for me to be on de- an indemnity payment on the claim. And and I've never heard any other carrier demanding this, but they demanded that he do it. And as a result, it shot their mod up to like a 1.65. Oh, wow. Well, this is a growing company in an industry that's having a hard time recruiting and retaining talent because you just don't have plumbers growing on trees anymore. How do they anymore. do that, though?
3: How do they demand that you take the indemnity?
1: I, I I've don't never know heard of that I was I wasn't involved in it. I came in after the fact and so that's the that's the story okay, that I got yeah, from okay. him. Yeah, might but they, something else going on. Yeah, but basically they were in a position where they really wanted to offer employee benefits but this and they were going to do it that year but guess what that made it cost prohibitive for them to offer benefits because of what was going to happen to their workers comp. Mm-hmm. So in that situation I was able to go to a PEO and say look this is not a bad company Yes, this is where the mod is, but here are the loss runs. This is well within tolerance. It's very profitable. There's no reason that they should be getting a 65% surcharge due to the mod. I will bring this business to your PEO, but you need to quote it at manual rates or at a discount based on a five-year loss snapshot, not what the mod says. And because of the way PEOs procure workers' compensation, they have flexibility in the pricing in Florida. So they can set the rate wherever they want. It's not like they have to follow the mandated rates like a regular carrier does. So Mm. they actually quoted it at a 10% discount off of manual, which would have been the equivalent of them having a 0.9 mod in the open market. Mm -hmm. And the money they were able to save then became the money that they used for the employer contribution portion. Of the benefits so they, they had the best of both worlds they got their workers comp squared away but then they also had had the the benefit situation taken care of and I mean that's that's one of the rare circumstances where I can tell you that it actually worked the way it should
2: yeah and then do you a few years from now or a few years later get them out of the PO and back in to the open market?
1: It depends on it depends on what they want. And and I think it's important too that I, I you know disclose that another place that we found savings was they were getting crucified on their payroll. Mm. Hmm. Like their payroll was terrible. Their payroll percent was like three and a half percent. And I told Jeez. the P, yeah, the PEO came in at like a percent and a half of payroll for the admin fee. So we found money there too. I mean, it, it's crazy to think. Especially that,
3: as a growing company man that's where you start that's that's where you get hammered
1: it's one of those things where they were so worried about growing the company that that, that just it was a if you're managing by financial statement then you know it's a flat three and a half percent and you just don't you don't pay attention to it like you you would otherwise right but it's it's crazy but yeah there's there's there are good time there are times where a peo is a good fit oh, yeah. and that, that that's a good example of one there's also times where it's not, and I think, you know, I don't want to get too much into, um, PEO right now because that could be an hour long shop talk episode if we wanted it to be. Oh, but yeah. every PEO's got the black box, and that's the other thing. If you're going to sell against them, you need to unbundle the black box, right? You know, and so I'll leave very, very, yeah. yeah, I'll leave I'll it at that, all, right. Well, listen, man. We've been going almost an hour. I, no. Anything else that we need to enlighten you on? Anything we can explain to you, Josh? Uh,
2: no, no. The only thing I wanted to say back back to the podcast is, I for the listener who's going to listen, and and I hope everyone will. It is a commitment to listen to each book, um, and I understand that because the the two that I've done thus far first one was seven episodes long. The second one was six. And each episode is about 45 to 90 minutes. And the reason that they're that long is because I want to provide whoever's listening with the value out of the book. Mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, okay, chapter one is about, you know, what you need to be able to, you know, to get prepared to sell insurance. So you need a website and you need this and you need that and then move on to chapter two. I want to get into the details. So I if you're going to, hopefully everyone will listen to it, but go into it knowing that it is a little bit longer um, of an episode, but it's definitely worth the time and the value that will come out of each of the guests that are on on each for each book to be able to learn something, be able to to take it back and uh, use it in your business, whether it's insurance or another industry.
1: My advice to anybody who listens to that podcast is listen to it as an episode. That's it. Quit focusing on the fact that it's a single title book and that you're going through it. Each episode has one to three chapters in it and each chapter is its own topic of discussion. And so if the podcast didn't have you thinking that you were listening to somebody go through a book to expand on it, you'd have no clue. He could just title it, Josh Explains Life to You, and then he's going through somebody's book and having them explain it chapter by chapter. Yeah, it's a time commitment, but listen, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, don't waste your time turning anything on. I mean, go crawl in a cave. (laughs) There you go. You know, I don't think you have to, what I'm saying is, I don't think you need to justify your podcast or what you're doing to anybody. If they like it, great. If they don't, that's fine too, but at the end of the day, you're right. There's a lot of good information that's gonna come out of this. And it's just like anything else. Stick with it, right? I mean Exactly. You gotta you gotta push through. You're not gonna look, I I get Ryan Hanley's podcast and Cass's and the insurance guys, the insurance dudes. Do I sit and listen to every podcast from every single possible source? No. I don't. Kyle doesn't even listen to half of ours. It's true you know, after we do them. So, you know, it's it's just I think that that, um, I think you're doing a great job, man. And I don't think you need to make excuses or justify or set people's expectations at all, because at the end of the day, you're delivering enough value that if they begin to listen to it, they'll continue to listen to it. I have had so many people reach out to me personally because they heard me on your podcast. And that's that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And that's not a, that's, you know, I would say probably a dozen people at least have reached out and it's people that I already knew to a certain degree, but even like Jason Cass is like, dude, that was good, man. Like I've never heard you talk like that. I'm like, I've talked like that to you. How many times? It's just a different way of me saying the same thing, but you know, that's the reason we all have shows. Some of them appeal to some and not to others. Okay. That's fine. I'll still be your friend, even if you think my podcast sucks. (laughs) If you want to be my friend, maybe you don't want to hang out with people with sucky podcasts. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. But anyhow, listen, we are at one hour flat and it is fantastic Friday. We're getting ready to head into the weekend. What are your plans? And then tell them how to find you.
2: Oh, plans this weekend. Um, I'm taking the weekend off from golf. Um oh, yeah.
1: uh, too many um, hole in ones lately. Yeah, I get
2: Yeah, yeah. I told my wife that last night. I said, "Hannah, I think I'm going to take the weekend off from playing golf." And she's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then um, uh, Sunday, um, putting something on on the smoker, so maybe some or chicken. Um, yeah, but for those that want to get um, in touch with me uh, for the podcast, uh, it is Agency Intelligence. Um, The AI Podcast Network. So you can find that on whatever podcast platform that you listen to. Uh, Email address is josh at agency intelligence.com. Insurance agency is Lipstone Insurance Group. Uh, Just Google it. Uh, Email address there is josh at Lipstone Insurance.com. But, and I know David would never ask anyone to do this for his podcast, but Please go out, leave him a five star review. Make sure you're subscribed to his podcast and we'll go into the weekend with that.
1: I appreciate it. But listen, I'm going to do you a solid too because I think that a lot of people who listen to this have read a book that they have questions on. And my challenge to anybody in our audience right now is load this dude up with some books and authors he can get on his show and help him perpetuate it. Josh Lipstone truly wants to explain that book to you. Everybody have a great weekend, Josh. Thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it as always. Appreciate our friendship even more. And I hope that you have a great weekend off with plenty of smoked
0: foods. (laughs)
2: Thanks guys. Appreciate
1: it. See ya.
0: You've been listening to the power producers podcast.